A lot of what I do is trying to get people to recognize that kindness is like very important. I mm -hmm. think I think with kindness we solve a lot of issues. That's Kelly Zabilski, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast, where I invite my favorite humans, the awesome, the up to something, and the extraordinary to come and share their story. I hope that you'll be left entertained, inspired, and moved to take action towards living your most powerful life. Kelly is a woman you should know in the comedy podcast world. She's part of three podcasts currently. She's the producer of the Jim Jeffries podcast, has her own The Unsolicited podcast, and is about to launch a third. That's a lot of podcasts. And that's at least how many she needs to share her own witty and wise view on the world, plus her own hilarious approach to life in general. On this episode, we discuss the impact of cancel culture, how her struggle with depression led her to comedy, why both liberals and conservatives need to chill out, and so much more. Well, thank you for coming to the Powerful yeah, Ladies Podcast. Um, but you are recommended to me by our mutual friend, Travmo, mm -hmm. Travis Moore. And I'm so glad that he did. So how do you know him and... How did you end up in the seat from that perspective? Travis and I met like probably 10 years ago and it might have been on a dating app. It might have been on like MySpace or something. I can't even remember. Um, but we hung out and just like instantly clicked. But it was definitely very much a friendship. Um, yeah. He's wild. Yeah. It's like <laughs> now it blows my mind that he's a dad and he's married and all this stuff. And I'm like, what the hell happened? <laughs> like because yes. the Travis I knew before. Wow. Um, but I he, I love him. He's so great. And yeah. uh, he's always been very, like, supportive of me. I, I tend to put, like, my online dating conversations online. And he's just always like, more, more of these. <laughs> um, so we, we've kept in touch. I haven't seen him in a long time. But mm -hmm. it's just, I mean, social media is beautiful for that because you don't actually have to leave your couch to have relationships. So that's really fun. <laughs> yes. And I would love for you to introduce yourself. Who, you, who are you and what are you up to? So my name is Kelly Zabilski, uh, although most people know me as Kelly Blackheart. Um, social media, yay. Uh, and currently I am working on The Jim Jeffries Show, um, so I produce his podcast. Um, we're starting a new one of his individually. Um, I have my own podcast called The Unsolicited Podcast, and I'm starting one with DJ Qualls pretty soon. So a lot of podcasting in my life right now, which I never yeah. thought would be the direction, but here mm -hmm. we are. It's Podcasting is so much fun. It is. I love it. Is it is it self-serving that I'm going to be on three podcasts? <laughs> uh, yes, but I, if you're making stuff that people want to hear, then I think you're just being a contribution to society. There you go. Okay, I will take that because uh -huh. that's better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I could literally do this every day. It is so much fun to like mm -hmm. just, especially when you have guests on, because yeah. we'll have guests every once in a while and just being able to get to know people and hear their stories. Yes. Um, it's so awesome. It's my favorite thing. I want to go back to you and the fact that you are a powerful woman who is behind some of the, you know, biggest, most influential and controversial, like, male co comedians out there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a huge fan of, of Jim Jeffries. Like, I cry laughing every time <laughs> I listen or watch anything that he does. Um, and... I think it's really interesting because he loves the C word. Yes. And it is a word that means nothing to me. Right. I don't think it, 
to me personally, no word is offensive. And I, and I understand that there are words that are offensive to different groups of people. Um, I, it's almost impossible to offend me, but cunt is, is so cultural and regional, Mm -hmm. right? So like in Australia and England and those places, it's not necessarily a vicious insult. You can be, um, a favorable cunt. You can be the worst cunt ever. And there's, they have like a spectrum for it. Um, so there, that's just kind of like, it could be a term of endearment. You're talking to your friends or whatever. And so they just use it so casually. Mm-hmm. But when when it's used here, it's generally used by a man towards a woman. And it's meant with, it's got vitriol. It's yes. like, it's it's bad. Yeah. So that's why I think that there has been a little bit of a disconnect with his comedy, comedy in like people like my mom's demographic, like that age of people, because they're not used to hearing that word as something that doesn't have to be super offensive. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's weird to me that people find offense in words, um, specifically when they're not uh, aimed at people in a malicious way. Yes. I think we put a lot of weight into things that aren't meant to be offensive. Yeah, and especially in the the space of comedy, mm-hmm. um, like what what is okay and not okay, who can say things, who can't say things. I think it's really interesting. Like yeah. the the new Dave Chappelle uh, show that came out, um, it's so offensive and it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Like I, you're laughing and you're like, I'm a bad human for laughing at this, and I can't not laugh at this. Like right. it's, it's triggering me to laugh because of how honest it is. And what it shines a light on, which I think is kind of what comedy is supposed to do. Like, totally. I mean, hold up a mirror and be like, "Look, you're all idiots." Yeah, there's there's so much going on right now about cancel culture and and offensive jokes and stuff like that. And and while I can understand something, like I truly think that there needs to be a well crafted joke around something that's offensive. Yes. Um, if if you're being lazy and picking low hanging fruit and saying things that are offensive just because you know it's going to trigger people, I just don't really respect your mm-hmm. comedy. Um, that being said, if we take away every offensive thing that a comic can say, we're taking away joy because comedy should be. It's like the last outlet for making people laugh when things are hard. Like mm-hmm. I mean, you look at ninety percent of comedians and they've all have had really fucking hard lives. Yes, and, and they're funny because often. they are working through the pain by making light of certain things. So I think everybody's perception is like they live these fluffy lives because a lot of them are rich now, but it's like, no, no, no. They all came from the same place you did. Their mm-hmm. their parents were abusive or yeah. they were alcoholics or they were raped or whatever the hell it was. It's like, yeah. we all have our struggles and you're putting your projection of what you think that person is, that they're, they're saying it from a p- place of privilege, but that's not usually the case. So I think if, if we start silencing comics especially, it's mm-hmm. like, we're going to lose a lot of joy. Well, and, and if you just believe in the First Amendment in general, like, I hate the fact that people can use that and spread hate. Oh, totally. But I can't, I can't tell them to shut up because I don't ever want somebody to tell me to shut up. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Well, my argument is I start my own podcast where we can talk about things that are good for society versus bad. Like you just have other people talking more. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, it makes me very nervous that to your point of the cancel culture, like when do we tell people to stop? How do we, how do we evaluate what is causing a negative cultural impact and what isn't and who makes that call? Um, I think it's really, 
challenging yeah. right now to know where you should end up. The caveat to the the cancel culture thing, though, is I, nobody's really getting canceled for, like, anything. You know, it's it's this, it's almost like a boogeyman. People keep talking about how this is ruining everything. Yeah. People are saying, shut the fuck up, don't say that. That's offensive. That no, Nobody's getting canceled. And so now I am getting pretty annoyed with comedy that's just like, oh, I'm going to get canceled for this. And then they just say, like, women should get back in the kitchen. It's like, you're being lazy. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Do something better. You're yeah. comics. You're supposed to craft mm-hmm. well thought out jokes to make us laugh. Just saying, I'm going to go to this place and yell offensive things. Like, that's not funny. No. The, the, the only person that I can think of that really got canceled for their beliefs and things they said is Colin Kaepernick. And he didn't say anything offensive. Like, he should not have been canceled. Everybody else who's like doing bad shit. Louis C.K. is out touring again. Yeah. So it's like cancel culture is not real. Yeah. <laughs> And I think Louis C.K. is an interesting example. And I was talking about this to some friends. And actually, one was male. And I and he got very offended about what I was saying, which I was shocked by. Like I Wait, men getting offended? No. Well, and I think me offending people I found shocking because like I'm Are the men last the person. not not the most triggered people right now? <laughs> Women are so sensitive, except it's men that are very fucking triggered by everything. This is true. There are a lot of men making very irrational decisions right now. Um, No, we were were talking about it, and I was like, you know, I'm going to preface this by saying that I don't ever want someone to think they can't defend themselves, speak up for themselves, have their opinions, like, be heard. Like, I was caught off guard by how many women weren't feeling that they could say what happened Mm -hmm. and feel supported and have a voice. Like, I'm doing this podcast and this business because I want people to know how powerful they are, right. whatever they're dealing with. And then there's we have so many cases now of whatever it is, whatever the offense is that's happening to people. And when I heard this, the Louis C.K. story in context to all of the horrible things that are coming out, mm-hmm. my first reaction was to laugh. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking back to how many times— You've been at a party or you've been where people are hammered and male or female people are getting naked mm-hmm. and running around just being idiots. And I'm like, okay, well, you just leave or you you laugh right. and walk out of the room. I'm like, I it's hard for me to relate to that being on the scale of something that we should all be worried about because there's a level of not feeling trapped Mm-hmm. in that story that I'm like, did I not hear it correctly? Like, right, right, right. were they held against their will? Were they like forced to stay there? Like, just because you saw someone's penis, I don't know if that qualifies as like, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of I kind of had the same feeling um, just because I think there's a spectrum. And, and this kind of goes along with everything, especially like in politics right now, everything's so heated and there are so many things that people are getting upset about. And I think that hardcore liberals are just as bad as hardcore conservatives because they just can't figure out how to pick their battles, right? It's like when we talk about, um, you know, gay rights and these types of things, it's like, what what's the most important thing right now? Because for your hardcore conservative people, they need to dip their toes into the water, right? It's not, it's not going to be overnight. I accept everyone and whatever your pronouns are, we'll use them and that's fine. Mm-hmm. So the way to get people to change, A, is not to come at them and make them defensive. Right. It's not to call them bigots. It's mm-hmm. like a lot of people are victims of where they grew up and they just don't know any better. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they have no exposure to 
diversity. Yeah. Um, so I find it really interesting because people on social media are so tough, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's like person misspeaks one word and it's like the barrage yeah. of hate. And it's like, pick your battles. Is is this important? Is somebody using the right pronouns on somebody they've never met or heard of? Is that important? Or is are gay rights important? Right. Or, you know, it's like, it's, it's just everything's getting so convoluted. And that's why liberals sound like idiots, because it sounds like we're triggered by everything when it's really just the extremes. And so if you don't want to be lumped in with your extreme conservatives that are white supremacists, like, let the rest of us be normal liberals that just think everybody should have equal rights. Well, and it's, it's um, you know, it brings up the question of, are we moving collectively in the right direction? Or are we just splitting people up? It's it's like almost impossible to tell oh, right now. It's really hard. It's and and at the root of everything, like nobody wants anyone to feel offended. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants anyone to be sexually assaulted or prejudiced against. Or we um, we don't want anyone to be anything but empowered. Right. So it's like okay, we all agree. Yes, like I agree with you. Like where are those baby steps where we can get everyone to start saying yes together? Mm-hmm. Like even when healthcare. Uh, came out. We were in, I was in Massachusetts when they passed um, health care for everyone in Massachusetts. And ironically, Mitt Romney was the governor when this happened, mm-hmm. which he then denied. Fine. Binders full of women. <laughs> so <laughs> Binders full of po- powerful ladies. Yeah. So that um, passed. And when they were pushing it uh, across the U.S., do I think that having health care allows people to have an equality that we don't understand if we have it? Yes. Would pe- more people be pro for it if we said, let's give health care to everyone under 18 and everyone over 65? Probably. Mm-hmm. No one usually argues about helping out an elderly person or a sick kid. Right. So to your point, why did we have to say everything now when we could have had a whole lot now and then next year gotten the rest of it? Yeah, it's it's a lot of times it's about baby steps. It's what can we do to ease people into this? And and for a lot of people, like I, I'm from Chicago and I grew up in a in a very liberal, open, welcoming family. And so that's what I thought Chicago was. And then I moved out here. And then when I go back to visit, I'm like, oh, man, it's so much more conservative than I ever thought it was. Mm-hmm. And so there are certain things to me. I've been living out here for 15 years. There are certain things to me that just seem very normal and they're not like radical ideas, but to some people, that's like the most radical thing that you could possibly come up with. So it really truly is about having some perspective about what, what do these people, what is their day to day? Like, who are these people? What's important to them? And then figure out how to appeal to one little part of their being to do that baby step. And yes, of course. So if that had been the case by now, we would probably have universal healthcare. Yeah. Yes. But now, yeah, it's got to be everything now or nothing. And it's like, this is this is not going to work. Well, we um, just wrapped up an episode where I had two lawyers who just started their own firm together. And we're talking about criminal justice and how we assume that everyone has the same method of logic or the same abilities. Mm-hmm. And we don't just by the, by the sense of not having the same experiences. Right. So how do you how do you meet people where they are to tell them like to to um, onboard them on what this topic is and why it might be important. Like, instead of having more conversations, we're having less. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, we should be talking more. Like, it is important that people who are, um, uh, I'm not going to find the right word right now, but people who are oppressed right mm-hmm. now 
it is important that they get unoppressed as soon as possible. Right. Like it's not the same as like uh, healthcare. Like when somebody's afraid of their life or do, they don't have rights. Like that's that has to change now. Yeah. So how do we have those conversations as fast as possible <laughs> so that it just becomes uh, normalized or it becomes no big deal? Yeah. Like I an mean, automatic yes. I don't think yeah. people are good at listening anymore. <laughs> like I yeah. truly think that the problem is, is nobody listens. They're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can give you their point. And so it's two people talking to each other for an hour and a half, but nobody knows what the other person said, but it's like, man, I killed that. Like, <laughs> like, and and especially on social media, it's, mm-hmm. you know, these people posting seven paragraph things. I'm like, I don't have time to read your diatribe about why mm-hmm. you hate Colin Kaepernick. I'm just not going to read this. Yeah. Because I I know I'm going to hate it. I know I'm going to hate what you said. So uh, nobody's really good at listening. So everything needs to be in digestible little bites and, and memes. Mm-hmm. Everyone should get their politics from memes. <laughs> <laughs> It's wild. Uh, so going back to comedians, right? That's how we, it's amazing yeah, how we went wow. from comedians to social justice in <laughs> four sentences. Um, but what is it really like to to work with Jim and work with other comedians? And what is your day-to-day like? Um, so Jim's brilliant. Like, uh, he, he actually, I don't think he's as famous as he should be. Um, he's done like eight specials in seven years. He's about to film another one, mm-hmm. and he just did one last December or last January. Um, and that's insane. There are some people that go their entire career doing one special, like Jerry Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, you think about that, and like just the way that he takes these really complex uh, topics and makes them digestible for mm-hmm. people that maybe don't know, don't have a lot of the facts about certain things or like his gun control bit to me is one of the most brilliant things yes. I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, and by the end of it, I can't even imagine that a, per- a person who like really loved having their guns couldn't be like, man, he's kind of right. Like he really just shoots bullets through, through every argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so funny, too. And I don't think a lot of what he says is even that offensive. Um, it's just kind of like, hey, that's a stupid argument. So he he's really great. Uh, we've actually become very close, um, especially now after doing the podcast. So when I was approached about doing the podcast, I had never touched premiere before. And they're like, you're going to you're gonna produce the podcast. I'm like, you sure you're in the right office? I don't <laughs> know why you're here. Um, so I kind of just figured everything out on the spot. And at first I was just, you know, doing the sound and then I would edit it. Um, but by the, by the end of it, it's like I had a mic and I was contributing. So we've become very close and he'll invite me over for parties or whatever. And, and so he's just a really good guy. And I think he's very misunderstood. Um, cause sometimes he'll say things publicly and then he comes back. He's like, no, that's not what I meant. And I'm like, that's what you said though. So now everybody thinks that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, but I think a lot of comics are and, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of the the downfall of being in a career that's in the public eyes. Every soundbite becomes news. Um, and some things are said specifically as a joke or or there's not a lot of context around what you've said, yeah. the things that people pull. And so people get mad about certain things. And it's like, no, no, no. If you had the whole story here, you would understand that this is not salacious at all. But, you know. We're living in the time where nobody wants to do any research. Everybody's, everything's clickbait. Everything mm-hmm. is, I'll read a headline and form a full-fledged 
opinion about this thing without reading anything into it. So it is interesting. It's an interesting time to be a comic, for sure. You're guilty before innocent totally. right now. Yeah. No matter who you are. Yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate because you want to, I don't know, you, you hope that you get the benefit of the doubt if you have a bad day or mm-hmm. you're an idiot in a moment. What I think is, you know, interesting for our time as well is punishing people for things that happened a long time ago. I completely agree. Like, I don't, I really don't know what the solution should be. Mm-hmm. And I feel really bad for uh, Justin Trudeau, Trudeau, Trudeau yeah. in Canada because most things he's done occur to me, not being Canadian or into mm-hmm. the full system, seem to be moving in the right direction. Right. And then to have this stuff come out and you're like, damn it. Mm-hmm. Like, we were rooting for you. Uh, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I, I truly think that you have to look at situations in in the full context of who the person is. Like, yes, this is bad. Don't Everybody knows you shouldn't do that. But did we know 20 years ago? Was it as, I mean, and... And we should have known 20 years ago, but was it was it something that everybody knew was, like, terribly offensive? No, not the same way as they do today. Let's look at what he's done since then. He's been more progressive than pretty much anyone in, in rights for minorities and all that stuff. So it's like, let's look at his resume mm-hmm. and see what he's done and then— and then compare it in the in the context of the full story. Um, I, I But I completely agree with you because there are certain things, whether it's words that we've used in the past or even, like, not rape, obviously, because I, I think rape has been known to be bad for a very long time. But when yeah. you think about, like, sexual harassment or even sexual, like, minor sexual assault, I think about my history of growing up, and there are certain things, I mean— I've I've been raped three times and I mean sexually assaulted fuck a million times. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's fine. I'm 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 good now, and there are there are certain things that like have now formed my strong opinions about things. But it's like there are a couple situations that I didn't even recognize that as rape, mm-hmm. and it's because of who we who society raised us to be is we're women and we're kind of objects to men. And if this is a friend of yours, he didn't mean it maliciously, so it's not rape because because our perception of rape was this guy in an alley with a gun holding it to your head saying, take off your clothes, I'm going to fuck you. Mm-hmm. And so when th- things happen with people you knew, that's not rape, that's my friend. And so the uh, more I, as I get older, I'm like, oh, this is really bad. But also, if I didn't know that, how would he have known that? Like mm-hmm. how, I'm, I'm always trying to think of things in terms of like, is this malicious? Is this person, is this person out to hurt me or are they a victim of society too and just yeah. didn't have the information? So I'm like really excited for young people now that they have, I mean, consent is such a huge topic right now. And I think kids are going to have autonomy over their own bodies and all that stuff and probably not feel scared to come out and tell people that things have happened to them. And that's like really exciting mm-hmm. that hopefully they won't have to grow up that way. Yeah. But like I was talking to my best friend, Colleen, and we both kind of have decided that we don't want to have kids. Um, And one of the reasons was like every person that I know that's like a really great person that I want to have in my life is somebody who's been through some really fucked up shit. And like, do you do you have kids and then hope that they go through something traumatic because that's the only way they're not going to be a shithead (laughs) or or uh, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. Everybody who doesn't have a really terrible story, I'm like, yeah, you suck. I <laughs> That's what it was. I knew I didn't like you that much, and it's because you, you had a peachy life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it definitely is a topic in regards to even, like, what do you do when you are 
you end up having a privileged life and you do have kids and you're like, damn it. Mm-hmm. No, you can never have a Christmas because I have to take something away. Yeah. Like, how, I how think do you, you get I mean, these? if you have enough money, you just like stage a kidnapping or something. Something traumatic <laughs> that will ruin them for a solid three to four years. Just, just and them then some, get them in therapy immediately because they will need to deal with it. Some baseline scarring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got to do it early on, mm-hmm. you know. Puppies, Keep. puppies in a van, you know, whatever. And people probably don't charge that much for it. <laughs> I'm just thinking of that as a new business model. Discount kidnapping. Or just like, you know, keep your kids on the on the good and narrow path. Is your kid being a shithead? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, I feel like that would be a skit in uh, F is for Family for some reason. Oh, yeah. I should start writing that immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of my favorite comedians, Bill Burr. Yeah, Jim and Bill were just on David Spade's show last week, and that was one of the controversial things where— <laughs> They were talking about Shane Gillis, the guy who got fired from SNL, and Jim hadn't seen the clips. Mm-hmm. He like had only heard a little bit about it, and yeah. basically what he was saying is like, I don't think people should get fired for what they say. Then it like tur- it looks like he's defending this guy to the death. Like this guy shouldn't get fired. He's Shane and he's funny, and he's like, I don't fucking know this guy. Like he, I just don't have the information. And it feels yeah. like the producer of the show should have been like, here are the videos. Here's what we're talking about, but. Now he looks like he's just defending this guy for using racial slurs. He's like, I didn't see it. And I'm like, well, you're on TV now. <laughs> yeah, don't talk about what you didn't do your research on. Oh, it's so hard. Um, so how did you end up in the comedy space? Like, how did you go from Chicago here? How did you end up producing podcasts? Um, so I uh, played volleyball in college. So I got a full scholarship to Cal State Northridge and came out here and did not move back after college because it doesn't snow here. Um, and that's wonderful. Or it does, but you can choose to drive there. Um, so I actually started working in renewable energy right at, towards the end of college. And then I did that for 11 years. So I was in renewable energy and towards the end of it, I was working in finance um, and I've dealt with depression my entire life. Like I attempted suicide in high school, um, and was in the hospital for a week. And like, so it's like, I have these moments, but I got to the end of my career in finance and the last six months I was just dead inside. Like mm-hmm. every day I had suicidal ideations and I have nephews now. So it's like, that was the only thing keeping me from doing something. Um, and my brother and sister-in-law, so my, my oldest brother is a director, producer, and he's worked in comedy for a really long time. So he directed Tosh.0 for seven years. Um, mm-hmm. And he'd always been trying to get me into comedy. And I'm like, no, I make a lot of money. <laughs> I'm not changing careers to go be a PA and be somebody's bitch. Like, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Um, he and my sister-in-law bought me um, Second City class, like a writing class for Christmas. And so I started taking that. And like, it was just this click because what had been happening is I was really good at my job, but I did the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. I presented the same thing. There was no room for creativity. And when you're a creative and you suppress that part of your brain, it literally kills you. And so I started taking this writing class. And within the first day of being at the writing class, I was like, there was a little bit of spark. And it was, which was weird because I hadn't had a spark of anything in a really long time. And so I was like, oh, this is really fun. And then he um, got the Jim Jeffrey show. So he's the showrunner there. And I was kind of joking around. I was like, 
I'll be a PA, whatever. He's like, well, no, now that I have a show, will you come work for me? And I was like, fuck yeah. So I took a $110,000 pay cut at <laughs> 30 years old, changed careers. And, and like, I still make a lot less than I did before, but I'm so much happier. Mm-hmm. Like it's, so, uh, it's like night and day. Um, and I think, I think I'll always be a baseline level of depressed. Like I was just with my cousin yesterday and, and she's kind of similar to me. And she's like, I've kind of just come to the re- like accepted that I'll never be happy. And then she took it back right away. Cause I think she felt like she was talking to somebody else. I was like, no, 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 don't take it back. I get that completely where mm-hmm. your baseline level is just always a little lower than everybody else's. Like mm-hmm. I'll never be super excited about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get that completely. It's just, it's just content. And when I was super depressed and suicidal, it's not because things were terrible and I was bawling my eyes out. It was just kind of like, meh, life is whatever. And I don't really, it was just more apathy than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I definitely, so when I say I'm the happiest I've ever been, I am. Um, but it's not like I'm jumping for joy every day to be at work. I'd still rather be day drinking. Well, I, I, I think you're speaking for 99% of the population as well. Of, oh, okay, good. Everybody else is just a good actor. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> do you want to go to work or do you want to day drink? So perfect example. Today, most of my friends that live near me are having a beach day for a friend's birthday. Mm. They, I, didn't, I didn't see the announcement for this until like two days ago. And this has been on the books for months because right. we plan ahead because people need to organize things and we're powerful. So we got lots of shit going on. Yep. And my boyfriend, Jesse, had been like, yep, yeah, we'll both be there. And I had to be the one right back, like, I have to go to my job that I love, and I wish I had a beach day. <laughs> I'm like, no. Um, so I just added it to the list of things that I'm, like, sacrificing to make this happen. Right. But if you can choose having, like, if day drinking with your closest friends and, like, crying laughing could be an everyday opportunity, like, people would always choose that. Yeah. And I, I really, you mentioned like you're creative and if you're, when you're not creative, you aren't using part of your soul. Yeah. And I think that's true for everybody. Like, I don't know who thought that some people are creative and some people aren't. Like who decided that? Because mm-hmm. I would like to smack them. And we put so much effort into all of our work goes into what we do nine to five, but I don't know. Are you really feeding your soul? Because some jobs don't feed your soul. Totally. I mean, I've talked to my brother about this and it's like, you know, we're both pursuing what we love and it makes, it makes me so sad to think about people like, and I'm from the Midwest. So I always kind of just go back to people in the Midwest. It's like these people that are like, I got a promotion at Ikea. And I'm like, are you doing what you want to do? Like Mm -hmm. is, is being the regional manager at a sit and sleep? Is that your dream? Or or were you told that you're stupid for trying to pursue your dreams and so you just settled into some life? Like, it makes me so sad that there are yes. just, I mean, the majority of the country are just people settling for a nine to five because it pays the bills and then mm-hmm. they probably don't even want to have kids, but this is the next step. Like, when I was 17, they asked what my five-year plan was and I'm like, obviously I'll be married and have probably my first kid. And then I moved out here, I was like, fuck that! <laughs> and no thanks. Um, yeah. It's just so weird how... Being, especially being from a certain area and if there's religion involved and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, people just do what they're told they're supposed to do. And that's got to be, it's got to be so suffocating. Well, um, we don't encourage people to pause and look up. Right. Like we, um, <clears throat> some people would say it's a conspiracy theory, right? That 
different societies have you all wound up about shit that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I think we do it to ourselves. Like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of all we think about is like getting to job on time and traffic and the weather and what are we eating next and um, what am I going to watch and when you stop, you're like, wait, I don't give a shit about any of this stuff. Right. Like, why am I spending time talking about traffic? Yeah. I don't care. Like, uh, no. Like People, wh- when I visit home, I mean, the conversation all the time is like, so weather's pretty good in California. I'm like, it fucking every year. Every year the weather's good in California. I don't know why we have to do this every fucking year. Yeah. Do you? You haven't seen me in a year. Are we really going to do that? Like, yes, it's fucking, I will pull out my weather app. We'll just go over the week real quick. And then can we move on to some real shit? Like, yeah. I don't understand what we're doing here. Totally. I mean, well, tattoos as well. Like, so I oh, noticed yeah. you have them. I have them all over my arms. Yes. And the, the, the amount of times that people will grab my arm and twist it around so they can see something. I'm like, A, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> this is assault. B, if I want to tell you what my tattoos mean, mm-hmm. I will. But they don't really mean it. I have a fucking Wayne's World tattoo. So, like, I... It means joy. Is it? Let's not pretend that mine are very highbrow. I just get tattoos that I like. Um, But yeah, I can't stand when people touch me. Not even people I like. I want to have kids because I think they're like just small comedians. Oh, totally. So I just want kids around to like have have me laugh at what's happening in the world. Yeah, I would do it for the Facebook likes. (laughs) Like sometimes I think getting married and having kids is... Only for the Facebook likes. I'm like, this is cheating. What I wrote was brilliant, and now you put a fucking baby in your picture, and you've got more likes than me? Fuck you. Mm-hmm. So I use my nephews for that a lot. But my, my nephew Jack is really funny, and he he's such a ham. He loves to perform. And mm-hmm. so, and my, my brother is super, super funny, so sometimes he'll, like, tell him what to say, and just the fact that he can crack me up, he yeah. ju- it, like, it just lights up his whole life. <laughs> I love when kids do something and they look at you like, ta-da, yeah. like waiting for the response. I'm like, yes. I wish people presented like that at work. Oh, I know. Like right. they did a presentation like, numbers, numbers, ta-da. <laughs> like I'd be happier. I, kids are way smarter than adults. So I, whatever we can do in society to stop becoming adults in the shitty way would be awesome. Well, kids are so uh, so true to themselves. It's mm-hmm. like there, there comes a point where vulnerability is bad at someone in your life. And that's when you lose all of that authenticity. Like kids mm-hmm. don't care about coming off clingy or saying something stupid. It's just, that's who they are. And then at some point it's probably like middle school really where that sets in and you're like, no, no, no. Feelings are bad. Don't say what you actually think. Play a game all the time. And it's just like, what are we doing? So it, mm-hmm. you literally just suffocate your joy from such a young age. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get better at that and be more mindful of things, but it's hard when you're conditioned that way. It's like, when it comes to dating, everybody's always playing games. I'm like, why are we doing this? I'm TMI from the minute I meet you right. because I need to know if you can deal with me. 100%. Like the idea of dating somebody for six months and we're both on our best behavior and then all of a sudden we like fall into comfortability. I didn't I didn't sign up to date this person. No. And you didn't sign up to date this one. So I will be exactly the same way as I am day one as I am a year from now. Yes. And so, sometimes TMI scares you off right away, but at least I know that right away. This is why I think how people would meet and date in old-fashioned times was more effective because often your first meeting was some horrible full family experience. <laughs> like, oh, you want to go and come come to Sunday dinner? Right. Like, if you can survive Sunday dinner with my family, you automatically move into a very unique <laughs> I thought you were going to say you automatically move in with me. I'm like, oh. wow. 
holy shit. <laughs> no, no, no. But like there's an automatic level of things that go away. Right. And I, I also don't think we're not, we are our own worst enemy when it comes to picking people to spend our time with sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that there is some value to people that really love you being like, no, yes, no, yes. Mm -hmm. Because like, there's no there's no uh, bullshit factor. For well, them. arranged marriages are still the majority of the marriages on Earth, um, and they they work. Mm -hmm. And it's like, have you guys heard of Married at First Sight? Yes. Okay, so I love that show. So I was a, a psych major and a human sexuality minor in college. So I'll watch any reality show that centers around dating as trashy as it goes. I don't care. Um, but Married at First Sight is such an interesting concept and people are like, that's so weird. I'm like, is it though? You're having experts like doctors and psychologists and people that are spiritual advisors and all these people setting you up with people that should be your perfect match. Like right. we're obviously shitty at picking them. Yes. <laughs> the national divorce rate is 50%. Orange County is 70%. So it's mm -hmm. like, we're not good at this. No. We should, our rights should be taken away. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, you think about like India, especially, I mean, India mm -hmm. is just primarily um, arranged marriages and these people, it's there's sure there's no love when you get married, but these people learn to respect each other. And then you learn love over time. It's like dealing with real shit instead of being like, I don't know, we met at a bar and hooked up that night and it like seems cool. Yeah. No, we, it's, it's, um, we, we forget like what real life is. Mm -hmm. Like there's no real life in a bar. Yeah. Like there just isn't. So who, who do you want to spend time with for a super shitty situation? Like who, who do you want to have to deal with like taxes and all the, all the stuff, all the adulting that sucks. Right. It's and not all just like scary. dates. No. That's why it's so funny to me that Bachelor and Bachelorette, it's like, oh wow, it didn't work. <laughs> you've, you've, your four dates have been like on a helicopter at a waterfall, yeah. like in Paris at the Eiffel Tower and then in one of those over the water huts in T Tahiti. And you're like, oh, it's so weird. We got engaged and then shit didn't work. I'm like, yeah, because you went back to Des Moines. Yeah. And you guys couldn't pick the right TV show to watch. Like, it's when you go to normal life, I always said I wanted to be the bachelorette, but like my version of it would be like the rose ceremonies. Like, I'd be in sweats, like mm -hmm. yoga pants or whatever. The competitions would be like, who could make me the best grilled cheese? Like, we would just yes. chill, watch TV. Like, who doesn't annoy the shit out of me? Who doesn't snore? Like, those yes. types of things. Like, let's talk about the real shit. I think the best dating show could be Naked and Afraid. Ugh. If it was set up. If it that was way. a dating show? Yes. That yeah, those people are fucking brave. A for being in the jungle at all. Right. But then naked. Yes. And like and for me, it's so funny. I'm like, what do I wish that I had if I was in that situation? Like, do I wish for underwear or shoes? I don't know. Ugh. Shit. Yeah. I think and you'd shoes. have to go shoes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I lived in Long Beach for six years and I'd um I had convinced a bunch of my friends to move into all the apartments around me. So there oh, were about 10 of us at one point. And some, some, of their, some of them were strangers and then just became part of our friend group. But pretty much every night we sat on our shared patio and drank wine and, like, had conversations. And for a while they were like, how was your day, blah, 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 whatever. Mm -hmm. And then so I started just looking up online, like, deep questions. And so yes. then we would have, like, these really deep conversations because I'm like, I've been friends with you guys for years and I don't really know shit about you. Yeah. And so that was a lot more fulfilling than you – and and some of them are just so out there that it's like people are like, well, I don't know. I'm like, then fucking think of something. It's like yeah. just because you haven't been presented with this question before and you don't have a, a stored answer doesn't mean you can't answer it. There's also something that I saw 
uh, there's like an article. It's like 36 questions to ask on a first date to fall in love or whatever. And I've always wanted to do that. But like, I also don't know how to present that in a way that's not so fucking stage five clinger on the first date. Like, hey, um, I just wanted to ask you 36 questions real quick. These are supposed to help us fall in love. Like, so there's there's no way to present that in Uh a normal way. But you can't do it on the fourth date because that's not the purpose. It's got to be the first date. So I don't. I think everyone I've gone on a first date with would think that I'm a little bit in the, not in the clinging, but like I definitely have my interviews. Jesse still oh, really? thinks I interview him. How long have you guys been together? Almost six years. Okay. Well, but like I just, you are still interviewing. It's trial period. <laughs> yeah. Still trial period. Um, but no, for real, like it's like, uh, no, I want to know these things now yeah. because I don't even know if I want to go on a second date with you. Like, can totally. we just start with the, this list of questions? I, I think that's the right way to do it. And people take rejection so personally too. It's like I have friends that get so butthurt about a first date not working or like not getting a second date. And I'm like, oh. dude, dating is so particular. Like yeah. there, there are guys that I've known that I'm like, I love everything about this person, but something they said about what they want in their future just doesn't align with mine. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to take away from them. Being from awesome. them. Like mm-hmm. they're good looking. They have their shit together, all that stuff. I just know it won't work. Yeah. But for some reason, when rejection happens to us, we're like, what did I say? Oh, oh my God. I came home and my hair was out of place. Or like I had something in my teeth. And it's like, this isn't how it works. Well, if you have something in your teeth and they don't tell you, they're automatically yeah, out. Fucking scumbag. Out. <laughs> what do you mean? I was just staring at your eyes the whole time. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> you knew it was there and you thought it was funny. Yeah. A big red flag for me is, um, a lot of people get really excited about having butterflies about somebody. Mm. I, if I have nervous energy about somebody or if I'm nervous on the date, that's a red flag. So I won't see yeah. that person again. And it doesn't mean that they're a bad person, but their energy doesn't put me at ease. And mm-hmm. I don't like that. So there's been a lot of times where I'm like, on paper, this person is perfect for me, but I can't relax when yeah. I'm with them. And that's just not going to work. I totally get that. Because you want... Even friends. Yeah. Like, I, if you make me nervous and uncomfortable and you're, like, too much of a t- swirling tornado, like, mm-mm. Yeah. There's enough swirling tornadoes that will come into my life <laughs> right. without me asking for it. Like, I don't need more on a volunteer basis. Yeah, exactly. Like, because you meet sometimes, you meet people and you want to, like, put them in, like, a, you want to tie them down or put them in, like, a straight jacket. Like, just stay. Yeah. Like, a makes you think of a two-year-old or a puppy. You're like, just stay. Yeah, Don't people move. that are especially hyper, I'm just like, oh, this is a lot. Like, just yeah. being around you is very draining. Yes. Yeah, and it's, I don't even, and, and there's the hyper kind, and then there's the the people who, like, their whole life is drama. Yes. And you're like, wait a second, how did buying coffee this morning become this never-ending story? Well, it's because I, I think a lot of it is people really want to complain all the time. Yeah. Like, I've made a very conscious effort to, I went to India in 2010 to do an egg donation. And that was kind of like my, the moment that it clicked for me because I was there and these people are the kindest people I've ever met in my entire life. Mm-hmm. They have nothing and they're so happy. And I was like, there's nothing in my life that is worth complaining about. And so I just see people fall victim to their own bullshit in their head every day and they, it keeps them miserable but it's you know social media when mm-hmm. I've talked about this on a, a different podcast but like the Kardashians you know they're they're posted all the time and you read through the comments and people are like fuck this I don't care about these bitches blah blah 
blah, blah, sex tape, this, blah, blah. And I'm like, do you guys not understand how social media works? Because your comment, they don't look through the comments and see which ones are good or bad or the mm-hmm. reactions. They just see engagement. So the more you engage with th- these things, the more they show up on your feed. Yeah. Like, so it's just people putting themselves in a bad mood because they're complaining about something. It's like, if you don't like something, don't say it sucks because it doesn't because a lot of people like this thing. Just say mm-hmm. it's not for you. Your yeah. life will be better. You're, you'll be a, a less insufferable person. People will want to be around you. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Your opinion is not the end all be all. And everybody thinks their opinion is so important. Mm-hmm. Like, people, people hate Amy Schumer. Like she's not fucking funny. It's like, well, she is. She's famous and she's made a fuck ton of money from being funny. If and she's not your type of comedy, that's fine. Yeah. And why are you think so mad is. about it? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I think it ties into like what people think happiness is today. Like it's gone so off the rails from like two generations ago. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like you think about our grandparents and they were just like happy not to be in World War II anymore. Right. <laughs> Anything beyond that was like, cool. We have too much stuff now. Yes. Like it, it really is the oversaturation of stimulation and things like everybody thinks that everything needs to cater to them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the, do you know how diverse the world is? Like not everything will be for you. Yeah. And and so it's just like this competition culture that you this person has the next iPhone or whatever it is. And it's like the more stuff we have, more money, more problems. P. Diddy had it right. No, it's it's so, so true. And even um even dumb things like, you know, 50 years ago, what you needed to like have a foundation of life is so you didn't need a, a, a car. Mm-hmm. You didn't need a phone. You didn't need a computer. You didn't need internet. Like nowadays, if you're homeless, like we have to give you a cell phone that everyone taxpayers pay for just so you can make sure that you can get a job, which I support. Cause mm-hmm. like you can't expect people to find a job if they can't be reached. Right. But it's like, it just it, we keep uh, leveling things up and forgetting about how does this change things and just the expectations we have. Like uh, statistically, it'd be really weird if everyone was middle class. Yeah. Like what? Like what? Like no. Like people are going to make bad choices. People are not going to. Um, even if we gave people all the same cards, what's cool about humanity is that we choose different things. Mm-hmm. We're going to combine things differently. So. Trying everyone to be equal and everyone to win and everyone's not going to be rich. It's Right. It, I don't know how it's going to happen. So I think there's a, a lot of conversations to be had about what does happiness mean and is it really happiness or is it contentness? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right word grammatically. But like are you just content? Like are things okay? And is okay really an amazing level that we don't give it credit for? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any chance that everybody lives an amazing life, but I think everybody should have the basic necessities to live in a safe place Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. with a roof over their head and food. Um, And if that's at the, you know, the sacrifice of some billionaires losing a yacht or two, like, Mm -hmm. so be it. And nobody needs to be as rich as the richest people. Uh, in our country. Um, I was watching this video on Twitter yesterday and it was this girl, it was like on TikTok, which I'm too old to really understand what that is. But um, she looked up Bill Gates' net worth and then there's a website called, um, or the concept of it is basically like, what can Bill Gates buy? And so she bought, she went through the simulation and bought every single NFL team and then like a couple of yachts, a couple of planes, all Mm -hmm. of these things. And it's like, just the difference in his net worth as she bought these things. It was like so minimal and it's 
because you never really think like, I think he's like worth what, $10.3 billion or maybe a hundred. I can't remember yep. what the actual number was, but you, it's hard to conceptualize how much money that is yes. until you start seeing her buying shit. It's like he could own the NFL and still have 10 point something billion dollars. And you're like, fuck, why yeah. is he? And he's one of the good ones. Yeah, like he, exactly. And he, and he is very charitable and all that stuff. His net worth is a hundred and five. That's the that's, yeah. billion. I couldn't remember if it was ten point three <laughs> or a hundred and three or whatever it was. So um, yeah, if just an insane amount of money, and she bought every single thing on that fake grid mm-hmm. and thirty two NFL teams, and he still had billions of dollars, billion dollars yeah. to go. Yeah. No, it, it's, I just need one of those. You don't even one billion. You don't even need a billion. I mean, I'd like it though. So if he <laughs> if he listens to this, you can Venmo me at Kelly Blackheart. Um, <laughs> imagine that Venmo. <laughs> I was just thinking, could Venmo handle that? Bill like, Gates just sent you one billion dollars. I'm like, ah, oh, love you, Bill. What are other things that matter to you that are topics in the world today? A lot of what I do is trying to get people to recognize that kindness is like very important. I mm-hmm. think. I think. With kindness, we solve a lot of issues. Um, people make a lot of assumptions about who other people are. Um, I was I was actually, well, something you were saying earlier kind of reminded me of something, and now I can't remember what it was. So I'm sure it'll come back to me as soon as I leave here. Um, but I think just making assumptions about how anybody lives or the experiences that they've had just puts us in a really bad spot. Like, you just don't know what anybody's gone through mm-hmm. in their life. Like, so r- right now, you know, we talk about body shaming a lot and like Bill Maher and James Corden just had their thing. And it's like, I understand uh, the perspective of like, hey, if somebody's addicted to food, let's treat it like an addiction and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But also let's not shame anybody. But how many people are overweight because of health issues? Like I was an egg donor for a long time. I gained 100 pounds in a year because one of them destroyed seven of my organs. What? And so it's like those that situation like gave me so much empathy and compassion for people that deal with health issues that are invisible mm-hmm. to us. Because everybody just wants to assume – like, I, I was looked at so differently because it's like, oh, you're lazy now. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I still play volleyball four days a week, and I eat the same exact way. My organs just don't work. Ha, ha, what happened? Um, so it was the last one I did. It was like six or seven years ago, and I had already taken like 10 days of the hormones, and then mm-hmm. the couple decided to get a divorce. Ooh. I think they were doing like, let's have a kid as a Band-Aid for their issues and then realized uh, this is not a good idea. Yeah. So – when that happens, they don't like wean you off the medications or do a surgery. They just go, okay, thanks. Here's your $500 cancellation fee. And at the time I didn't know that that would be a bad thing, but apparently just having the hormones sitting in your body is not good. So I was continually gaining weight. Couldn't really figure it out. Cause I was playing really competitive volleyball. I was playing in all X pro in college mm-hmm. level team. Didn't change anything about the way I ate. I was eating chicken and broccoli for every fucking meal and gaining three pounds a week. And I'm like, this is not right. Normal. Um, so over the course of a few years, I kept going to doctors going like, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you need to lose weight. I'm like, no shit, Sherlock. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I am not a doctor. I don't know what's going on. Um, and it wasn't until I found this girl who's like a holistic nutritionist mm-hmm. and she does something called um, nutrition response testing, which is ba- like very woosah. Yeah. Uh, like when I explain it, it sounds like you're the dumbest person ever for spending money on that. But 
basically it's like she'll test the strength of your arm while she's pushing on your organs and the way your arm responds to it shows her the strength or weakness of that organ. And so when I first went to her, she like identified seven organs that didn't work. And I was dating a guy at the time and he's like, so you took a blood test? I was like, no. And he's like, Kelly, this is bullshit. But I was doing supplementation with her and all that stuff and it was working and I was starting to lose weight. And then he like kind of really got in my head about it. And so I was like, all right, what if I am spending like hundreds of dollars a month on something? So I stopped going to her. And then like six months later, I went to this other place that ended up doing blood work and every single organ was was totally verified. Yeah, totally verified. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. motherfucker, if I had been doing this for the last six months, I'd be in a lot better spot now. Um, so, so yeah, I found that out, but then I, I started doing keto like a year and a half ago and mm-hmm. that's like specifically designed to help regulate hormones and all that stuff. And that's what it was. It's my hormones were so out of whack that my organs couldn't function. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lost like 65 pounds. Um, so I'm still working on it, but I also like to live my life. So I will yeah. cheat when I want to. And I don't think there's anything good about me being strict because I'm not trying to, it, when I get there, I get there, but uh, keto has been great, but I really, it's crazy to me because people think that Western medicine is the end all be all like, oh yeah, take the drugs, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I try not to take any painkillers because I will, I will build up the tolerance to it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to need, or yeah, I don't want to need anything. I'm in the same boat. Like if I have a headache, I'm like, I'll yeah. drink some more water. Deal I'll go take it. a nap. It'll Start be drinking fine. again. Yeah, there's the, um, I'm a big believer in naturopaths and people who look at your whole body. Like, right. It's all connected. I don't want to just take a drug and have the symptom go away. Right. It's just going to get worse. We're not dealing with totally. the source. Like, ah. Yeah, for the most part, men don't understand hormones at all. Like, I was listening to a conversation two weeks ago about how postpartum depression is like a made-up thing. And, and it's like, no, no you— it, and he's like, yeah, I get it. You're sad because your body's not back. I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, my God, no. My brain's going to explode right now. Like, it's hormones are so very real and to, yeah. and to varying degrees for different women. Like, I don't go through mood swings, but I know that a lot of people do. Um, and it's just because it's not my experience doesn't mean that it's not real. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like that's, like, the tagline for America is people are like, I don't understand that, so it's wrong. I, I 100% agree. Like, um, no, it's, and people, your things change over time. Like, I am lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. I wasn't for the first 25 years of my life. So I am now. Does it mean I'll always be? I have no idea. Right. I was just eating a bunch of cheese in Europe and I was fine. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a lot to do with our food quality here too. It's yes. like, I'm not, I'm actually don't really like Italian food and, uh, I know that makes me very weird, but I went to Italy in 2016. And what I don't like about it is when I eat it here, it makes me feel disgusting mm-hmm. and heavy and bloated and gross. But like there, it's so the ingredients are so fresh. The wine mm-hmm. has no nitrites in it. And like mm-hmm. you don't have a hangover. You're eat, drinking three bottles of wine and you feel fucking sprightly the next day. <laughs> like not here. Um, so it's just the quality of the food that we put in our body. Um, and that's the thing with keto too is like I didn't notice – feeling better as I started it. Mm -hmm. But now I notice if I go back to eating shitty stuff, my joints lock up. I'm so tired. I get headaches, migraines, like Mm -hmm. I'm irritable. And so it's weird how you don't really notice the positive changes until you go back to eating something and then see the negative things. And you're like, like, holy shit, that's how I was living Mm -hmm. the entire time. Yeah. And you don't know. And, and 
I think that's true about, we don't realize the little bubble we've made around ourselves from a, a food perspective, sleep, um, are we hydrated, mm-hmm. plus all the noise. Like, we don't realize how much we're comparing ourselves. We don't realize how much we're keeping up with the Joneses, even if we don't think we are. We don't realize how much we're trying to chase something that we never cho- decided we wanted. Right. And so that's why I think travel is so important. That's why I think getting perspective is so important. I mean, uh, your India trip you mentioned being really impactful. Like, what made you go in the first place, and how did it how did it change like who you are today? Well, so I went to do an egg donation. So it was a Canadian couple, but medical tourism is much cheaper. Um, and at first, my agency had reached out to me, and they were like, "Hey, would you do one in India or Colombia?" And I was like, "No, no, I don't want to go to either of those places." And then as I thought about it, I'm like. I would go to India. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, and now actually I would go to Colombia, but um, at the time I was just like, it didn't feel like they were safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went there for, I was there for 17 days and it was just, it was so interesting to see, A, we were celebrities there. Like it's crazy to me that the light skin is like they, every single group of people needed to stop and take a picture with us. Granted, I brought my friend Joe from college and he looks a lot like one of their celebrities, Rithik Rashan. <laughs> and so we stayed at this resort that had like one of those man-made surfing machine yep. things. And so he would do that every day and every receipt said Rithik on it. And I'm like, I wonder if they really think it's him. But like we went to the zoo and we're standing next to the white tiger uh, exhibit and people are taking pictures with us. I'm like, there's a white tiger right there. And they're like, white people. And I'm like, okay. So it was it was very interesting, but just the nicest people ever. And mm-hmm. and there's this stereotype um, here because I used to work in sales. And so the stereotype was like, I would work with these people and I'm like, I hate when I go to an Indian person's house. I'm like, why? They're like, they're so cold and they're mean and all that stuff. I'm like, I think they're just used to white people treating them like shit. Mm-hmm. They've got a wall up. It's like, it's hard to be kind to everyone when you're used to people making jokes about you working at the Seven Eleven or like whatever the fuck it is. It's like, we've been so mean to them that of course they're rude. Mm-hmm. But that was not my experience at all in the slightest. They they are very like uh, stone-faced at first. So the first yeah. couple of days we were there, we were like walking past groups of people and they're just like no smiles, nothing. And I was like, I felt so uncomfortable. I was like, oh my God, they hate us. And then Joe is just like, I'm just going to wave to him, see what happens. He waves and it's just like immediately they light up, they start chattering, they're giggling. They're like, oh my God, hi. So it's it, it was weird. They just needed to be approached in a kind way first. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best people I've ever met in my life. Yeah, it's, it's understandable for people to be suspicious, mm-hmm. um, especially if you've read like Germs, Guns, and Steel. Uh, it's it's a great book about um, civilizations and why when there are all these very strong, smart, like big civilizations, why did Europeans conquer the world? Yeah. Like why didn't Native Americans or Aztecs like kick their ass? Because they could have. Right. And so it all comes down to germs, guns, and steel and how they – uh, happened in different timing and the way that they were used, but it's fascinating. It's one of my favorite books. The guy who writes it has done some other amazing books as well. He's actually a teacher at UCLA. Um, like I'm obsessed with all cultural anthropology stuff, um, mm-hmm. but it's really interesting to see how that goes. So you know, you if you're not white, you should be nervous if white people show up. Right? Because history would tell you like totally. Oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm nervous when white people show up. <laughs> 
I, it, it is very sad that I've gotten to a point where part of the reason I want to stay in my apartment is because I'm less likely to die in a mass shooting. You know, it's like now I get and I don't I don't suffer from anxiety on a regular level, but mm-hmm. I won't go to see a movie on opening weekend, mm-hmm. not in the crowded theater. And like there's just certain places that I will not I'm not going to the L.A. County Fair. I'm not going to Coachella. Granted, I wouldn't have gone anyway, but um, there's certain things that I'm just like, no, I'm not going mm-hmm. there. I don't want to be around that many people. And people today make me nervous as hell. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad that we have to live that way, but it's just reality. It's sad. And, and um, it occurs to me, and I may be so off base, but it occurs to me that it, the solutions are really simple human things, mm-hmm. like being kind, right? talking to people, like having community, having people, like have people that they can talk to. You know, I'm sure, you know, I, I haven't done a study on this, so I'm I'll we're gonna have somebody on who can talk to these statistics, but my guess is that the number of people in everyone's life that you had that you could reliably call or talk to regularly or see in person regularly used to be maybe twenty people, ten mm-hmm. people. And I bet now it's like one to three. Yeah, that would make that would make sense. So like how does that what does that do to society and mm-hmm. how does that change? Like I was at a women's like networking group recently where a woman said, I'm gonna ask a question and don't get mad at me for it. And I was like, Ooh, this is good. Yeah. And she's like, I'm a single working career woman. I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't wanna get married. I don't wanna have kids. And I think the fact that all women now work has messed up our society. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be good. <laughs> and it like, okay, like what we haven't, should women have the right to work? Yes. Um, should men? Yes. Should, you know, okay, so m- maybe we weren't responsible as a society for what changes that makes. Mm-hmm. And how do we, how do we make sure the foundations that someone staying at home left that, okay, that's not going to happen anymore. Like, what's going to be missing that we need to put in place? Right. Like, I don't, I think where it shows up a lot is like in schools. Like, we weren't responsible for all parents working, you know, at least one job, if not two or more. Right. But we also didn't prepare the schools for having to pick up some of that slack. Yeah. We're not hiring more teachers. We're not having more after school programs. Like, we really were like, didn't think that went through. Mm-hmm. And, Okay, you can't think everything through, but somebody maybe should have been like, "Cool, what's going to happen to these kids now?" Right? Yeah, um, no. I, there, there are so many. My my cousin Trista just got her first teaching job, and she, like she was comparing between two schools that she really wanted to work at, and one was very close to her home and it kind of in a ritzier neighborhood and all that stuff. But the the other one that she really wanted is like I'd be in this like underprivileged community she was a Spanish minor so she she would be able to use that and I'm like please go to the other school like you'll get paid a little bit less but like people kids need teachers that really really want to be there and really care about them Mm -hmm. because a lot of these kids parents are working multiple jobs they just don't have the support at home so to come to school and have somebody who's really passionate about them and and their their upbringing, their lives, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be a huge part of their lives, and she's there, and she's loving it, and like it, yeah. so. I'm really happy for her, but it, teachers don't get paid enough. So how do you get people to go in there and be happy and passionate and all of these things? It's yeah. like I just don't know how anybody is a teacher. Uh, and it's I just did the intro outros for another one where we talk about like 
how teachers are one of the most important people in totally. our lives yeah. and in our, our community. So, you know, I look to places like Finland where it's as competitive as being a doctor. Because wow. they know that they need the best people in. Like 10% of people that go to school become a teacher. And then I look at places like Sweden where like daycare, like preschool is free and school is free and maternity paternity leave is equal among mm-hmm. men and women. And there's even care for elderly that's provided for free. So you look at people at societies that have been really responsible, that people need support all the way through and they need people that they can talk to and count on. And like, how many people does a person need in their life to thrive? And who are those people? I don't know, but I think some places are getting it better than we are. Totally. And I think that, I think that is evidenced by the happiness of those countries too. It's like, Mm -hmm. I think what's happening here is people don't want, like, People that are against social programs and all that stuff, they want to be recognized for the struggles that they've been through. And the idea of somebody getting help mm-hmm. that they didn't have is upsetting to them. It's like kind of the concept of, you know, when you're in high school and on a sports team, it's like you get hazed and hazing's terrible and nobody likes that. But the second you're a sophomore, you're like, we're fucking hazing these people. And it's like this idea of passing down these terrible struggles. things to people. <laughs> yeah. Like, I luckily, so I had a full scholarship to college, so I didn't have any student loans, but I've seen so many tweets of people being like, well, uh, I already paid my student loans, so I'm not into this loan forgiveness. I'm like, so you want somebody else to struggle just because you did? Like, is it not just a learning moment for you and you've been through this thing and you could be proud of yourself? Mm-hmm. Why does everybody have to struggle because you did? Mm-hmm. And it's just this comparison of of struggles and, and you get people that are like, I don't have white privilege. My fi- like my upbringing wasn't easy. And it's like, that's not what we're saying. Mm-mm. Doesn't mean your life was easy. Yeah. You did start ahead, mm-hmm. but we recognize that you've, you've been through some shit. That's fine. I think yeah. people just want to be recognized that they didn't have things handed to them on a, on a silver platter. And it's like, we yeah. get that. Most people didn't have a really, really easy life. Um, so it's, it's this comparison mm-hmm. culture of Either my life was shittier than yours or my life is better than yours. There's nothing in the middle. Nobody's just like, yeah, we're all kind of just figuring it out. Yeah. Like, (laughs) Like, we can admit that. We're all figuring it out. Yes, totally. Well, and I think, too, like, whether you – either you've dealt with shit that that you didn't want or you've worked your ass off to get what you wanted. Like, there's still – the struggle doesn't need to be a trauma, right? Totally. There's there's struggles – up the mountain because you started at the bottom uh, and, and wanted to go to the top and there's struggles where you got knocked backwards, right? And like everyone's life is going to have these pieces because that's why we call it the hero's journey, right? Like you're here to go through your things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just, it. <laughs> why are we such like buttheads? Why? Like, I mean, seriously. Yeah, it's, it's weird how people want to hide the the hard parts of their life mm-hmm. because to me that makes the person the most interesting that's what makes you powerful yeah you can't be powerful if you've never had to overcome something right and you don't know really anything if you haven't mm-hmm. like that's every single moment that we fail we learn something from that it's like there's this quote i just saw the other day and it was from some inventor some probably some no name, uh, probably Einstein or something. Um, it was something like I didn't fail 200 times. I figured out 199 
ways that it didn't work. And mm-hmm. it's that's so true. It's like we're we're there's never going to be a life that's smooth sailing and you don't get rejected a billion times. And yeah. and and that's something I'm really trying to hammer into my head because my I, I my ideal career is to be a writer. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have a lot of scripts that get shut down. Yeah, but you're that that much closer to something that gets a yes. And mm-hmm. and also success doesn't really feel good if you've always had success. No, it's, 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 you, um, just like you don't get confidence if you don't overcome something, Mm -hmm. you don't feel success if you haven't had to work for it. Like if the things that just show up, we don't even acknowledge as wins. Totally. I was a, I was a swimmer growing up and I always swam in like the higher levels. And I think when I was six, I was swimming the eight and unders and it was the first time I'd ever gotten second. And at those summer swim meets, you got the ribbons Mm -hmm. there. So this lady hands me a red ribbon and I go, oh, no, excuse me. I get the blues. <laughs> I was such a little asshole because I was yeah. just so used to getting first place. I was just like, oh, this dumbass screwed up the ribbons. But like <laughs> it was then that I was like, oh, you're not going to win everything. And yeah. so then I just kept failing, you know. I still have my <laughs> swim meet ribbons. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of blues. I've got a lot of other colors. Oh, OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey. Diversity. Diversity. It looks real pretty. It was like very pastel-y. <laughs> yeah, um, they started making like rainbow colors at one at one point. And I was like, mm-hmm. it was like eighth place. And like, hey, at least you still get a rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we ask everybody on the podcast, like, where do you put yourself on the powerful lady scale? This is a scale that I've completely made up and pulled out of my ass. And it's roughly zero is normal, average, everyday human. And 10 is like super mega powerful 80, like whatever that means to you. So like, where do you put yourself on average and where do you feel right now? Oh, man. Um, I think everybody feels that in a different way. I think I walked in here and I was like, I'm not qualified to be on this podcast um, because it's not like I've started a business or anything like that. But I do, I I have a lot of confidence in myself. Um, I actually think gaining weight made me a lot more confident because I had to become a smarter, funnier, more interesting version of myself. So it's one of the best things that ever happened to me, even though it was terrible at the time. So I I mean, I feel very in my power all the time, but I would say probably a six or a seven. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I love asking this question because everyone answers it so differently. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to like how that individual person works. Like we've had a super successful professional athlete be like, I'm a two. And I'm like, what? Oh yeah. Like if I'm a two, that that means I'm working towards, right. I've got 10 things to move up in, but like, that's how she operates. And I'm like, shit. Okay. Like I get that. And yeah, there've been so many people that I've um, asked to host an event for powerful ladies or be part of it or come on. And they've said no because they're like, I'm not powerful. And then you look at their resume, you look at their life or like what they care about and that they're just good citizens. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you are. Like, how do we change this this definition? Well, but don't you think that's so telling of what society is? Because we're yes. not supposed to admit that we're powerful. We're not supposed to admit that we're smart. Um it's it, because it's seen as cocky and instead yeah. of confident the way a guy would, a guy could be like, I'm a, I'm a really powerful businessman. But if a woman says that, it's yeah. like, okay, bitch, slow down. Yeah. So it's just weird how society has trained us to be demure and to not talk about our accomplishments and all that stuff. Like I, I dated a guy that after we had broken up, he, I called myself smart in jest. It was about something stupid. And he's yeah. like, 
He's like, how are you going to ever have fans if you're your own biggest fan? I'm like, why the fuck would I not be my own biggest fan? Like, (laughs) he's like, you need to get some humility. And I'm like, because I said I'm smart about something very stupid. Okay, well, I think you need to fucking kick rocks. And how about you should think I'm the smartest person you've ever met. And that's why we're not together anymore. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and that's why we're not. Yeah. No, um, at the most recent Powerful Ladies event I was at, a woman came up to me and she's like, I really think you should change the name. And I'm like, um, okay, why? Well, powerful is a really aggressive word. And, you know, you should use a different word like awesome or incredible or, and I was like, knowing in my head, like, this is more about you than it does what we're Mm -hmm. up to. But like, when I think about powerful, like, to me, it's like, why is Wonder Woman powerful? Because she can make things happen. Mm -hmm. Like, being powerful is like seeing the light you have and like that people need your light. And what are you doing to give it away? Yeah. Right. Like you were talking earlier about how like you didn't use this word, but like how powerful you feel when you're working with Jim and like having these great conversations and like people are laughing and stuff's happening. Like that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Like there are people who are sitting at home, binge watching Netflix that don't think they contribute at all. And or are working their job and they're just like pushing buttons. And some people love that. Mm-hmm. And that's their thing because they like love buttons. Fine. Go for it. And there are other people like you mentioned earlier who are just like in on the conveyor belt. Right. And the fact that you've gotten off, you've made these choices, like you, you know, are taking things on. Like to me, that's powerful. Like right. our tagline is the awesome and the up to something. Like you're up to something. Yeah. And I just love having people check in like. Are you up to something you care about? Like, are you up to something that you're proud of? And sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Like, there are moments when I look at myself and I'm like, you are not playing the game you could. Yeah. Like, I know I'm slacking off. Oh, I do that all the time. But you ask somebody else and they're like, you need to calm down. Like, you're doing, you're doing too much. You're making us look bad. Yeah. And I'm like, what? You don't even know the list I have. <laughs> like, hold on. So it's, it's like all this perspective game. I did this example with money at the at a workshop where somebody said they needed $25,000. And I'm like, you think that's a lot? She's like, yes. And I literally walked across the room and I'm like, over here is Bill Gates. He sneezed and $25,000 came out of his nose. No problem. I walk on this side. We're in India. They live on 50 cents a day. Mm-hmm. Like there'll be millionaires in their minds that they have this. Right. Like, all you have to do is change where you're looking at it from. You move. And it changes. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. Anything that we can't hold on to is the same way. Feelings, love. Like when I got that love is a story, I was like, shit, that sucks. And that's actually kind of powerful because then so is everything else. Yeah. So it's like a really weird dynamic when you realize that it's like being a, like a, not a mind bender. What's that game? The space that we can bend time. If you, if you realize that you're in control of these um, intangible things right now you can change how is it big or small I don't know I'm going to decide yeah. today I mean uh, knowledge is certainly power and it, like to me I feel like sometimes I know too much and that's what <laughs> yes. f- uh, fuels my depression like ignorance truly is bliss mm-hmm. and and maybe that's what we're talking about with those people that are just working the mundane jobs or whatever it's you know they it could it's because it's all they know yeah that they could genuinely be happy i think i just know too much to be <laughs> stuck in that mm-hmm. and it sound that sounds very like conceited but there there is th- so many studies linked to a high iq and depression 
and I not I don't think I have the highest IQ, but just being smart, you're mm-hmm. like, no, I'm fucking sad because I'm looking at all this shit that's going on around me. And this is really sad. Well, it can be overwhelming because, yeah. you know, when you know it's happening, you also know that you can do something about it. Yes. That's so- what it is, is I... I can and should be doing something about this, but I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I have the resources to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and how do you choose? Like, am right. I going to go save babies in Africa? Am I going to save, uh, you know, glaciers from melting? Am I going to go? And, and if you choose one, people will go, well, what about the people? And it's like, I can care about all these things at once. I can yeah. only do one thing at once. Yeah. And, and And it makes me feel good that other people are... Picking, picking one mm-hmm. and going for it. Cause I'm like, okay, if I give each of you $5, like I will, we'll start spreading out all of the resources. <laughs> right. And then I can pick whichever one is easiest for me. And sometimes the best thing you can do is make people laugh. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Like, you know, I don't, I just, we are so hard on ourselves for making this big, huge impact when it's like, I don't know, like, was I nice to somebody today? Did I make you totally. smile? Yeah. Did I compliment everyone that I thought something nice about, even if I didn't know them? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a fun game, I think, to play. Like, you hear these things in your head, like, oh, it's a great haircut. That's a great bag. Whatever it is that you're liking about whoever you're staring at. And to tell someone, and they go like, oh, thank you. Yeah. That's powerful. But we just, we're we're trained to keep everything so close to the chest. And I'm guilty of that. I don't give a whole lot of compliments. But I also feel like people know that if I give you a compliment, I really mean it. Mm -hmm. Um. But I do like those girls in bathroom bars that are like, oh, my God, I love your outfit. I'm like, I love you. <laughs> yeah. Why are we best friends already? It's so, nice, yeah. To live a day like one of those girls, it would probably feel pretty good. <laughs> there is a game where we were just playing. I need to find it where it's these, these tiny cards and it's just choose. It's kind of like, would you? it's called Would You Rather. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it could be a card game, but my friend found it. It's not the Would You Rather that I've always played without yeah, cards. Yeah, we played that on my podcast. Right. So this one's more, it's interesting. Gross. And it'd be things like, would you rather um, have a three-second memory or would you rather um, know everything? Wait, what was the question again? I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I sometimes feel like I have a three-second memory anyway, so. I'm like, well, if you had a three-second memory... This is how, like, nerdy I got. I'm like, you would probably not be able to take care of yourself. Yeah. Which actually could be, which either would mean that people would do everything for you or you would die early. Like, those would be your two options. Because in three seconds, you would forget, like, where you found food. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to pick that one because I'm I'm so worried about being, like, self-sufficient and Mm -hmm. not being a burden on anyone else that I know that I would annoy the shit out of people, and that would make me depressed. So I might as well know everything and be depressed anyway. Yeah, I love how you're going to find a way to be depressed in two seconds of memory. Wait, what? Sad. (laughs) Okay, they said something. Oh, now I'm sad. Oh, they said something. Oh, now I'm sad again. It's fucking Dory from Finding Nemo. Yeah. Listen, I can find a way to be depressed in any situation. Don't you worry. That's one of my skills. Well, knowing your your superhero skills is step one, right? <laughs> um, so we're almost complete for today. Um, what are some last words you'd like to leave with the Powerful Ladies audience? Ooh. Um, I guess kind of on the uh, the train of like complaining or being down about things that you can't really control – I kind of live by the, if if this won't matter to me in five years, then don't give it more than five minutes right now. Um, 
there's so much stuff that like, especially when, when you feel like you got your heart broken or something mm-hmm. like that, it's like you dwell on this thing. And I literally could not tell you the names of some of the guys that I've been upset about over the years. I'm like, I remember being really upset and crying about somebody could not tell you his name. <laughs> so, um, so I try just not to give anything too much weight. Um, I feel feelings when I need to, but I don't, I don't give anything a whole lot of power. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on Powerful Ladies Podcast. Thanks for having me. I am excited to have more conversations with you because um, I think this was great. And I, you know, building the Powerful Ladies universe is half the fun. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This was a great episode to record. It's so much fun to meet a stranger and know you want to keep them in your life. She's strong, smart, funny, and she cares. I love that she shared the hilarious and the ridiculous, as well as being super honest about depression and the pressure we all face to chase happiness. Because that's what life really is. It's hard, it's messy, it's funny, it's, you know, real. I'm so thankful Travis connected us and I can't wait to see what she creates next. To connect, support, and follow Kelly, you can follow her on Instagram at Kelly Blackheart, Twitter at Kelly Blackheart, and of course, subscribe and listen to the Unsolicited Podcast. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing here at Powerful Ladies, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Leave a review on any of these platforms. Share the show with all the powerful ladies and gentlemen in your life. Join our Patreon account. Check out the website, thepowerfulladies.com to hear more inspiring stories, get practical tools to be your most powerful, get 15% off your first order in the Powerful Ladies shop, or donate to the Powerful Ladies One Day of Giving campaign. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. For show notes and to get the links to the books, podcasts, and people we talk about, go to thepowerfulladies.com. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. She's one of the first female audio engineers in the podcasting world, if not the first. And she also happens to be the best. We're very lucky to have her. She's a powerful lady in her own right, in addition to taking over the podcasting world. She's a singer-songwriter working on her next album, and she's one of my sisters. So it's amazing to be creating this with her, and I'm so thankful that she finds time in her crazy busy schedule to make this happen. It's a testament to her belief in what we're creating through Powerful Ladies, and I'm honored that she shares my vision. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love. <laughs>